Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. What connects with, uh, when I say peanut butter and, very good, and I say ladies and, very good, you guys are good at this, and work leads to, play, <laughs> weakness, money perhaps, and okay, sorry, uh, scratch that one from the record. We have Calvin and Hobbes, very good. We have milk and milk and cookies, milk and honey. We've got hamburgers and hot dogs or french fries, yep. And then we've got suffering and glory. <laughs> suffering, and now that's a connection that, that this congregation needs some, a lesson on. I just happen to have something prepared that, that maybe can encourage each of us to, uh, to recognize the connection between suffering and glory. We're going to look at Romans 8 this morning. Romans 8, we'll begin in, in verse 18. I wanted to uh, start at the beginning of, of a section. So I wanted to get to verse 18. And it says, For I consider... And I wondered, now, what is that for connecting back to? So I turned back to the previous paragraph. And that one, in verse 12, begins with, therefore. So, so what's that therefore, therefore? So I went back to verse 9, to the previous paragraph, and it says, but. And I thought, well, there's a contrast going on here. So I went to verse 1, that says, there is therefore now no condemnation. And I thought, well, I can't preach all of Romans in one morning. So I apologize for jumping into the middle of Paul's argument here. You guys all know this. This is wonderful. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wrap up real quick. Never, never believe that when a preacher says that. Um, so we're just going to jump into Romans 8.18 today. And I'm going to trust... That, that you will take some time, uh, perhaps this afternoon, to read the broader context uh, here in Romans. And, and I don't know how far we would have to go back to actually get to the beginning of this, but you will, you will not be disappointed if you read what Paul has said about the gospel here in Romans 8. Um, but we're going we're gonna to go from Romans 8, 18, and go all the way on down uh, to verse 30 and hopefully talk about some, some encouraging and challenging truths that God has revealed to us. I will read, and I'd ask you to follow along with me. For, this is 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it 
with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, we, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, but he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Let's pray and ask God to join us in this study. Our Father, we thank you for revealing your word to us so that we can know who you are and the wonderful things you have done for us and who you want us to become. I ask that you would strengthen us to see the truths that you have revealed to us so that our lives might be changed by them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, I'm just going just gonna to back up two verses to get a running start here on verse 18. So I'm going to read 16 and 17, and we'll jump in uh, to our study. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Suffering and glory. So here we see that just as Christ suffered on the earth, we also will suffer on the earth. And I'm sure that, that many of you can testify to this, that living the Christian life is not easy. <laughs> it, is, it is joyful, but it is not easy. <laughs> and, and obedience at times is very, very difficult. But God gives the strength to obey. And, and as we live our lives, as we see God working in our hearts and, and through us in the hearts of others, we get to have a taste of the glory that is to come as we see the wonderful things he does. And I mentioned this in, in Sunday school. When I was struggling with some, some issues in my life, and I began to see God's word applied to my heart and the power of his word working to change me, it's, it's thrilling. It's really exciting. And, and you can have that too as you study his word and as you seek to obey him and, and understand what he expects of you. You will see that glory shining through little by little. But verse 18 provides us with a great motivation for our service. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, if I can keep this straight, last Sunday I, I shared this message with another group and uh, I kept mixing up suffering and glory. So I'm going to put the suffering on this side and I'll put the glory on this side. All right? So let's see if I can... This is, this is the sides of the stage, all right? Not the... 
not, not for the people. <laughs> You're all in it for both of them, okay? <laughs> so I've got the suffering here. And God says, or Paul, Paul shares, us, shares with us what God's mind is and says that the suffering of this present time, that is, life on earth, this fleeting few decades, if you take all the suffering that comes from the Christian life and put that on the scale on this side, and then, <laughs> here's the hard part, try to take all the glory to come in eternity and put that on this side of the scale. What does Paul say here? The sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared. You know what it's like when the, when the coyote tries to use a, a lever against the roadrunner? <laughs> and, and he puts himself on the long end of the lever and has a rock fall so that it'll launch him to catch up with the roadrunner? That's what we've got going on in this balance. We put all the suffering on this side, and it is heavy. It is a real, genuine, difficult, painful suffering that we have experienced. I'm sure if I asked for testimonies, you could share. God brought this difficulty in my life. We had this family trouble. I didn't know what to do with this, this situation. Hard things come. Hard things come. But obedience leads, obedience through the suffering leads to glory. And that's like the rock <laughs> that comes and lands on the, on the other side, and it just launches the suffering, and it's gone. Because the suffering isn't even worthy to be compared to the glory which we will see when we are with Jesus. And, and Paul uses another illustration here in uh, starting in verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That is that even creation itself is looking forward to the day when the curse will be undone and when things will be set back as they should be. It's not just Christians. It's not just humans. It's, it's all of creation is waiting, eagerly watching for when God is going to change things back how they should be. Verse 20 goes on uh, fuller to explain this full, more fully. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. You remember back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and he came and said, why would you do that? I gave you everything. And, and he said, there are consequences. And he shelled out those consequences for the man and for the woman and for the serpent, for the ground. And everything was, was not good. And uh, I want to just uh, read real quickly the, the key verse here from, from Genesis 3 that that gives us that glimmer of hope that, um, that, this, that this verse in Romans 8 talks about, um, Genesis 3, 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle 
and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That, those, that exchange of bruises is, is the hope that God gave right from the very beginning. He said, the, the curses were real. We, we can testify to that, that they continue to until today. But the hope is also real, that the seed of the woman would one day come to bruise the head of Satan. And uh, this isn't just a goose egg bruise. <laughs> this is a crushing bruise of Satan's head. And as we, now we are this side of the crucifixion, the snake has bruised Jesus' heel. Jesus is the seed of the woman. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, Jesus is the seed of the woman. And he, he came and Satan bruised his heel in the crucifixion. But Jesus began the crushing of the serpent's head, the bruising of his head at his own resurrection. And he will finish the job when he returns. And we have that hope. God put that hope into creation when he subjected all of creation to futility. We can see this theme all throughout scripture. When, when Israel disobeyed God, he always said, there's going to be judgment. It's going to be bad. A lot of you are going to suffer, but I will preserve a remnant. There's always a glimmer of hope in the judgment. Now let's go on to verse uh, 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from bondage to corruption into the glorious liberty, I'm sorry, from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. I think this is such a, a beautiful picture of what... Uh, it, it really helps me to understand what Paul is saying when he says that just as a woman struggling in the travails of labor to deliver a child, the suffering in that instance is real. I have it on good authority that it is real suffering. <laughs> but there is hope. And the glory to come is worth it. That's why... That's why people keep going through with bringing babies into the world because there is good reason to endure the suffering because the, the glory in the end is worth it. And Paul says that all of creation is in that, in that stage of laboring and groaning in this pain. But creation also knows that there is hope. There is hope. God is going to set things right again. And verse 23 goes on to say, not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, I am still very young. And I intend to continue saying that for at least 40 years. But, uh, but I am beginning to recognize that 
uh, my youngness is not as young as it used to be. And, and as I, uh, like, likewise, these, these truths are self-evident in our lives, that we, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for God to redeem our bodies, for our bodies to be glorified. And so that the aches and pains and, I don't know, can I say, summarize uh, disease and male functions of our bodies will, will all be done away with. I was looking uh, at the end of the song service at, at Revelation 21. I just want to read a couple of verses to, to encourage us uh, with this uh, short description of the glories to come. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And we drop down a little further in, in 21. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Is that encouraging? <laughs> this is what the one who believes the gospel and trusts Christ to save him alone from his sins anticipates. And we have the first fruits of that in the spirit who dwells inside of our bodies. Verse 24 and 5 go on to, uh, to uh, give us a little bit uh, further picture here. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I hope that we can go out of this place waiting more eagerly for what God has in store for us than when we came in. Continuing down, verse 26 tells us that likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. So this is, this is Paul recognizing that the believers gathered in the middle of October in Sox Center, Minnesota, would struggle with weakness from time to time. That we would find difficulty in waiting in perseverance. And he told us that the Spirit helps us. For we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, and we can trust that his, his prayers on our behalf are the right prayers because verse 20, 27 tells us, For he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
the Spirit of God, who is God, knows what God wants. And he also knows us perfectly. And so he always prays the right thing, even when we, when we cannot. Certainly you could testify with me that, that these times come in life. When you say, God, what are you doing? What am I even supposed to pray about? God, I decided to move a thousand miles away to get further education to serve you. And I've got people in my family that are sick and I lost my job and we can't find new work. God, how are you going to provide for us to continue obeying you? <laughs> uh, when this came into our lives, it, it felt like our problem. But God called us to, to do this and, and he took care of us. He, he provided, there was always money left at the end of the month. And you know, sometimes it was just a few dollars, <laughs> but he, he, he always provided, and we, um, he always took care of us. His spirit is praying on our behalf, even when we, when we don't know how to pray. And as we, I think I'll leave it there. The spirit always prays exactly as he should, for us bringing the things into our lives that we need to grow, to know him more, and serve him better. Now we come to this beautiful closing of this, uh, this section in 28 that says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes, when your friend, your brother in Christ, comes into difficulty, you want to remind them of this verse. Well, it's all right. God's using this. He's going to bring good from this trial. And um, perhaps you could, could, could say with me that someone has, has in, in good intention, brought this, this verse to you to say, it's going to be okay. And you think, it's hard to believe that right now. <laughs> That's, uh, I'm not quite there in, in processing this, this situation. But it is true. God is working all things together. He's, he's the master a general waging war against the puny little evil in this earth. And he is moving all the things in uh, according to his plan so that each of us, his servants, can be better equipped for further service in the future so that we can know him and make him known better. But I confess with you, in the thick of it, it is hard. It is hard to remember that he is bringing this, this, this another hard thing into our life to, to further refine us. But it's true. He said it, so it's true.
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He foreknew us way back, way back before time. I know that that's a, a conflict of terms because before is a word that can only be used inside of time. But you'll have to forgive me. God, God looked into time before it started and said, I'm going to choose that one. I foreknow him so that he is predestined to be conformed to the image of my son. I'm going to perfect him. And that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. Each one who has believed the gospel, God chose him before we could, we knew, before we could even know that we were chosen. And he did it so that he, that is, so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. So now we have to circle back to, to verse, uh, verses 16 and 17 that say the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we believers are children of God, so that he can say this in verse 29, that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. Christ, the Son of God, is the first Son of God. But all of us who have come after him, who have been adopted into the family, are also children of God. That makes us Jesus' brothers. And then uh, verse 17 back here says, And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Because he's our brother, we're joint heirs, just like he is the Son of God. We are sons of God. And if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The suffering leads to the glory. And here we'll speak a little bit more about the glory in verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren, these ones he also called. He called them to a ministry that fits them perfectly, who fits a ministry that fits each of us perfectly. And, and for some of us, that means finding gainful employment in this ministry. And for some, it means faithful testimony through our words and our lives in our workplaces, in our homes, and in our communities. And for some, it means raising children that will love and serve God with their whole lives. And for some, it means faithfully toiling away in the work that God has given so that by our testimony, people will say, what's wrong with that guy? He's happy. <laughs> he, he's got something I don't have. And they'll say, they'll come and say, What's wrong with you? Why are you like this? And why? <laughs> can, can I get that wrong with me too? <laughs> he has called each of us to fulfill a ministry that he reveals as we seek to know him. 
And those who he has called, these he also justified. He already took care of it. Took care of all the sin. And that's not, as, as has been said, as, as Paul has said in this very book, well, good, the sin's taken care of then. Let's sin it up. That's not what this is about. <laughs> he, is, he has already justified us through the blood of Christ so that when God looks at us, Christ steps in the way and says, you see my righteousness instead of his sinfulness. And the sin that, that we have committed is completely eliminated and replaced with Christ's righteousness. And those whom he justified, these he also glorified. I'm so glad that there's an ED at the end of glorified, signaling not that it's already done, but that in, Christ, in God's mind it already is done. It's as sure as done. And we can be so very confident that just as he has done these other things, just as he has fulfilled so many other promises and predictions throughout history, he will make good on his word in this case as well. So I want to encourage you today to consider what motivates you to act on the fire that is inside of you. What motivates you to serve God as you live your life? The suffering that comes with this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory to come. And so it is worth it. It is worth it to serve our Savior. He has given everything for us. And so what should we give? What is a fitting response? Could there be a fitting response other than giving our everything back to him? This, this passage really um, has spoken to me in the last uh, several months, the last year, as I have struggled with my motivation at times. When I, when I feel like the task is too big and I am too small. And um, even as I say that, I remember the task is too big for me and I am too small for it. But I serve a really big God. We all can serve a really big God and he can do really big things through us. Let's go serve him together as he has called us to. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for not simply calling us to serve you with no promise of, of recompense. But thank you for promising infinite rewards and infinite glory that will last forever. We love you and we serve you because you first loved us. Strengthen us to continue doing that. Thank you.